0: It. I love every time I find new John Carpenter interviews on Twitter. It, it makes me sounds so like
1: something you would enjoy, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: no, I just, I was reading a bunch of great ones from him today. Sometimes when people screenshot interviews from him, they'll they'll cut it so it looks like he's taking like a big dunk on somebody. Right. Um, but he is like the nicest guy. He's just funny. Um, so he, the one I was reading today, I've seen it before, but it's like... Um, Interviewer's like, so what about um what about the, the these like metaphorical horror films? And Carpenter's all confused. He's like, what the fuck does that mean? Okay. And uh, the interviewer's like, oh no, like you know like A twenty four, like Hereditary, Midsummer, that sort of thing. And he's like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> now he goes on to say they like once they clarify a little bit more, he's like, oh okay yeah totally like some meta- like yeah metaphor- metaphorical horror exists, but like it's you know. Horror doesn't have, he's like, horror films don't have, uh, uh, like, values. They have themes. Right. Which I really loved. I was like, he's like, at least the good ones do. That was the good dunk. Or he's like, the good ones have themes. And I'm like, I love you, John Garbender. Shocking everybody here.
1: Right. I know. Take a drink.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You would be wiped by the end of this podcast. Any, Any given one. Anyways. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched Phantom of the Paradise?
1: You mean the 1974 American rock musical comedy horror film written and directed by Brian De Palma and then scored by and starring Paul Williams?
0: That's the very one.
1: Oh my god.
0: I love when everybody just works multiple jobs on a movie. I mean... You know I'm going to... I'm not not kidding. You know I'm going to love a movie when everybody's doing everything.
1: Well, When you have a small budget, sometimes that's your only option. Correct. DIY queens over here. (laughs) I'm Nicole.
0: I'm Topher. And
1: we're the Horror Babes.
0: That is correct.
1: And thank you for joining us for our second episode in our October theme, which is musical horror films.
0: Yeah. that yeah. is Yeah. That's our theme for October, and I'm loving it so far.
1: So fun. Two of our favorite things in one. I can't <laughs> complain. Shocking. So just in case you're new here, I'm going to give a quick rundown of just our normal format here. Topher's going to take us through who made this thing. Shout out the cast and the crew. And then I will take us through the plot. And then we will, of course, analyze said plot. So, Topher, who made this thing?
0: Well, as you said, Brian De Palma. Um, he, you might know him from a movie we've, you know, covered on here before. Carrie? Ever heard of it? One, Yeah once or twice once or twice <laughs> here and there yeah i love palma he also did scarface carlito's way he's done he's had a long career um and he loves playing around with like horror and action and kind of getting vibes while still making a coherent clear narrative you know yeah he de- he definitely loves his ultra violence um he's in that he's in that wave of uh of directors in the 70s right where you were kind of starting to get auteurs and stuff mm-hmm. same guy same like he's in that same era yeah um there is also we uh later on found out that there's another there's another writer um louisa rose also wrote on this she's uncredited in the film um, right but she did script work for it um her most famous movie is uh sisters mm-hmm. uh 1972's movie um which is a cool little cult horror right uh that doesn't get as doesn't get as much praise. It's it's kind of having a little bit of a resurgence right now. I'm mm-hmm. seeing people recommend it places, um, but it's just one of those that you kind of forget exists until someone brings it back up, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like you said, it also stars uh, it stars Paul Williams as Swan, our like evil devil man, right? Who is I love this that Brian De Palma just decided to write a movie to shit talk Phil Spector, mm-hmm. which makes me very happy. <laughs> Especially because he did—he was—he was an awful, awful person, and uh, made Ronnie Spector crawl through glass. Yeah. To like escape him. God. After trying to kill her, so yeah, fuck Phil uh We have w- William Finley as Winslow Leach, aka the Phantom. Yeah. Jessica Harper back again. This is her like big screen deb- uh, debut. Um, we know her from Suspiria, but she plays Phoenix.
1: This might be my favorite thing that I've seen her in, and and, and that says a lot because I did love Suspiria. Suspiria is loved, fantastic, and yeah. I loved her in Suspiria. I I don't know. I think I think this one. I don't know. She. No she, wonder she took off after this.
0: She captures the movie like so good. she's fantastic in this. So fucking good. Yeah, um, we have both of our favorite character up next: Garrett Graham as Beef.
1: God, my favorite fucking (laughs) character. Beef is
0: amazing. Oh my God. This genderqueer, like, Meatloaf, Freddie Mercury send-up. Yes, daddy. Every single time.
1: Beef is a mood, a vibe, uh, just everything.
0: Harry Styles could never. And I love Harry, but come on, Beef?
1: I mean, his name is Beef. He has a face tattoo.
0: No, no, it does makeup on their face. They had the Pisces... Uh, they did the Pisces one, and then they changed it oh, to the yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, like a trans symbol,
1: right? That's and right. I love it. I I'm obsessed. And beef is
0: hot. Beef's I'm obsessed a beef cake. with beef and like screaming and belting and performing and just doing the most beef.
1: I am a vegetarian, but I'm obsessed oh. with beef. I'll eat
0: that beef. <laughs>
1: <laughs> God, he was so fun, and I I loved. I I just yeah.
0: They're fantastic. Yeah.
1: If you need a reason to watch this movie, Beef is that reason.
0: <laughs> yes. There are many good reasons to watch this movie. Spoilers. But uh, Beef is the main. Oh, yeah. It's only in it for like five minutes and captured our hearts completely. Just both of us screaming Beef at the screen. Beef! <laughs> um, we have George Momoli as Philbin, Swan's like kind of right-hand man. His bruiser but also his like uh, uh his the face of his whole or- organization because swan doesn't let people take pictures of him yes and then lastly we have archie Hahn, jeffrey commonor and peter eibling or elbling as first the juicy fruits then the beach bums then the undeads
1: uh,
0: but i love that peter elbling is credited as harold oblong which i thought was a real name when i saw it and then i was looking through the credits i'm like oh of course it's not a real name right our gorgeous really cinematography was done by uh larry pizer yeah this was he just he worked all over the industry forever uh he had like a 60 year long career yeah or longer uh he just he did his thing you know um he was just everywhere. You, it's one of those like he's one of those cinematographers where I'm like I could name things from this, but honestly, just go look at how much he did. He was all over the place.
1: Well, I just saw that this was released on Halloween in 1974. It was October 31st. Yeah, it's a tight 91 minutes, which is my favorite number when it comes to movies.
0: <laughs> you love a 91. Yeah. Um. So and then our editor, uh, you know, I love to shout out editors, especially when it's great. Was the amazing Paul Hirsch? He did. Multiple Star Wars. He did Star Wars Episode 4 and 5. He did Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He did Mission Impossible, mm. um, which Brian De Palma famously also did. Uh, right. He, like, launched Tom Cruise to the end of the Earth with that. But, yeah, I, I, when I see – Paul uh, Paul Hirsch is one of those editors. When I see that he's on a movie, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch it. Like, yeah. it's going to be crisp and interesting and cool. There are going to be creative edits. Right. I, I love him because he's an editor who isn't just there to cut down the film yeah and cut it together he's there to like make art
1: yeah, yeah, yeah
0: last shout out i'm gonna make here is rosanna norton who was our costume designer because again god the costumes in this are so good
1: yeah
0: um and i was like why do i recognize her style she did tron oh okay so she loves that like futuristic weirdness yeah because we see that throughout this and that's that's tron up and down she also did robocop too mm. so like hell yeah Um, Like you said, it was a tight 91 Minutes released on Halloween 1974. This actually used to be played as a double feature. I think we mentioned this in our Rocky Horror episode, but they were played in a double feature together. Oh. That was when they both became Midnight Movies. Oh, cool. Yeah, so these were both Midnight Movies. They played together at a bunch of spots because uh, because, uh, 20th Century Fox was trying to... Recoup a bunch of losses that they had from both of these movies. <laughs>
1: yeah, this one only had a slightly larger budget than Rocky Horror because I think Rocky Horror was a, a million, and this is one point three million. Yeah,
0: there we call them the same. Like it's that close that enough. extra that extra hundred thousand dollars here and there doesn't really like at that point that's just marketing budget.
1: Well, and apparently because it was you know low budget, we talked about in our last episode in Rocky Horror how the million dollar budget and how that kind of affected production obviously. Mm-hmm. For this one they apparently were filming during the day, recording vocals at night until like dawn and then filming again and one day they were Jesus. like looking at the footage and they were like this is shit. So <laughs> they so they had to reshoot in like New York. Okay. Um
0: that makes sense for where I mean it's set there so it makes sense.
1: Yeah, so I yeah, they were literally I think the the um The guy that plays Winslow Winslow Leach was like, Yeah, I had on that makeup all day, went straight to the studio to record, to like lay down vocals and everything, and then. Uh, went straight back to set. They took the makeup off, redid it, and then he had to go. He was like, I didn't even have a sense of like anything. poor skin. So then they, so then, you know, they look back at the footage and again said like, this is shit. And they were like, we have to scrap all, like we can't even use this. It's so bad. So
0: the dailies were just so bad that they had to scrap.
1: They had to redo it um, in New York. So, yeah, I mean it was just a grueling shoot is what it sounded like. God,
0: I mean I you know how much I love a million dollar movie. The way the same way you love a 90 minute or a 91 minute, I love a million dollar movie, but it's, every single time it's just fucking grueling. We talked about that in uh, Blair Witch. Yeah. It was such a tight budget and Evil Dead was the same thing. Like they just had to push and get shit done and everybody hates each other at the end of the shoot. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so like I said, with uh, even on that one point three million dollar budget, it has become a cult favorite. I was uh, I, I recently found a recommendation for this. I had heard of it, but I'd never seen it. Um, but it was from uh, Lucy Bale on uh, TikTok. Yeah. Uh, who, if you don't follow them, you should. That's it's a great account. It's I'm gonna describe it. It's gonna sound silly. But it is a little uh, one-toothed kind of wolf devil puppet Yeah. that talks in a Brooklyn accent, and oh, right, right, gives right. you gives great horror recommendations. I've watched several films on their recommendation, and I I love it. Yeah, and that's Lucy. B a a l on TikTok. Definitely give them a follow because they we wouldn't be covering this otherwise. And I love this movie now.
1: Yeah, um, shout out.
0: Yeah, that's enough for me right now. Why don't you? Uh, Tell us what happens in this damn movie.
1: Yeah. So, all right. We have singer-songwriter Winslow Leach. Um, he's heard by this acclaimed record producer, Swan. Winslow's playing, uh, you know, his original composition. And um, it fo- it's followed by a set run through by the 1950s-style nostalgia band, The Juicy Fruits, amazing name, um, yeah. who Swan produces.
0: And they're like a Buddy Holly type.
1: Deaf. Um, And then Swan thinks that Winslow's music is perfect to open the Paradise, which is the highly anticipated concert hall and has his right hand man, Arnold Philbin, steal it under the guise of producing Winslow.
0: Yeah, he's like, hey, we'll get back to you. Um, We'll give you a call. We just just need to just give me the sheet music. okay? we're good. Yeah. So (laughs) sneaky. Sneaky.
1: Sneaky. And he keeps
0: pretentiously calling it a cantata.
1: Yes, he's like he's like it's not even finished yet. <laughs> it's like nineteen minutes or something. Um, so then a month later, Winslow goes to Swan's Death Records. To- Great name for her. Oh, amazing! I mean, Death
0: Row comes later, obviously, but Death Records and the label is so cool. It's the dead bird.
1: Yeah, it's just like a dead a dead bird upside down, um, and then. He follows up about his music, um, but he, he gets thrown out. Mm-hmm. He then sneaks into Swan's private mansion and then sees all of these women rehearsing his music for this audition. He meets. This is where he meets Phoenix, who's an aspiring singer, and he's like, "You're perfect for my music." And boy's
0: thirsty from the jump.
1: I know. She actually does a really, really great job of kind of embodying kind of, a little bit of Carol King, but more so like a Karen Carpenter type. That's the
0: words out of like, my mouth. Like the yes. voice
1: and the presence. Like she's I she's really captivating in this, which I like. Like the I've way she dances said.
0: around the stage later. Oh my god, I like,
1: loved it. I was so enthralled. Haunted. I yeah. was fascinated by her. Um, so then Winslow realizes Swan's plan to open the paradise with his music after he's thrown out again. Um, and then he disguises himself as a woman <laughs> to sneak in and try to speak to Swan. Which love crafty tactics I we love. love. it.
0: And then it's like he he says um, he he calls him uh, the F-slur. Yes. Uh, which it's because it, like it was taking me a second to realize that Winslow was hiding under this pile of sexy women who were all ready to please Swan to get a chance to sing. And then I like I realized, and he like he comes he's like get him out of here and I'm like oh whoa he did a drag.
1: <laughs> absolutely and it's um, we'll get it we'll get into this a little bit more later but it's really it's a really fun spin on like satanic panic and music yeah and what how that I mean is still alive and well today the For crazy sure. people um, thinking that there are subliminal messages um, I still stand by the best depiction of this was Josie and the pussycats well of course you know yeah but anyway I digress. Um, uh, Let's see. Swan has, after he disguises himself as a woman, he tries to sneak in and speak to Swan. Uh, He has Winslow beaten and framed for drug dealing. Winslow is then given a life sentence in Sing Sing Prison.
0: Oof, Sing Sing. That place is bad.
1: It's also a name of a karaoke place in in, um, Chinatown, I think? Yeah, it is. Or K-Town. 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 Yeah. Um, I've been there several times. I actually like that place. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, his teeth are extracted and replaced with metal ones because it's some experimental prisoner program to decrease infection, which um, is funded by the Swan Foundation, of course. Mm-hmm. And then about six months later, Winslow hears that the Juicy Fruits have made this anticipated hit record. It's all his music, and Swan's produced it um, and then after a full-on breakdown, he escapes prison in this delivery box. I love this scene. Mm-hmm. And breaks into the Death Records building. He fully
0: beats a prison guard to death.
1: And then jumps in a box. Yeah. And we're like, whoa, okay. <laughs> And then, um, and the, and it works, um, a guard startles Winslow as he's destroying all the records and the presses trying which, to get rid of the
0: master. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which causes him to slip and fall face first into a record press, w- which crushes and burns like the right half of his face and destroys his vocal cords, which I've seen al- like almost all of the final destinations. I never thought about this happening. Yeah. Like, I really
0: wish like I didn't, re- if I were to make it to final destination, I would totally do one based around music and then I would just have have to steal this from Brian De Palma and be like, "Yep, I stole it from Brian De Palma."
1: It really does, because um, this this movie is kind of the story's uh, based loosely off of a couple of stories, like uh, *Dorian Gray*, Dorian uh, Gray yeah. *Fan with the Opera*, and like *Fan with the Opera*. You have that's where like the crushing of the vocal cords and the half of the face being like disfigured comes mm-hmm. in, um, and also the muse. Yeah. Him having a muse and saying, "You're right. you're the star," um, and. So he, he, with all of this happening, he barely manages to escape the studio. He falls into the East River as the police arrive.
0: Yeah, and the guard shoots him through the stomach, too. Like, he nearly dies.
1: Yerp. Um, and then he's all, like, disoriented and, you know, a little, little deformed. Uh, Winslow sneaks into the Paradise costume department, and he puts on a long black cape and this silver, like bird-like owl mask.
0: It's so cool.
1: He becomes and he becomes the Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> and then he he starts to terrorize Swan because what else are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. Um, and his musicians and he almost kills the Beach Bums, which were formerly the the Juicy Fruits. Um, so now out of the Beach Boys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They they traded in the Buddy Holly doo, doo-wop for. Um, for the Beach Boys surf music um he he's he almost kills them with a bomb while they're playing this like almost unrecognizable version of Winslow's Faust song and then he uh the Phantom uh confronts Swan who then recognizes him as Winslow and is like is like oh well let's have your music produced you know but his way and um they build this recording studio where Swan provides the Phantom with an electronic voice box, enabling him to speak and sing. Mm-hmm. And then Swan he asks Win- Winslow to rewrite his cantata with Phoenix in mind for the lead. Uh, Winslow agrees and signs this contract in blood, of course. Like, you know, um, <laughs> you got to the drama.
0: Ink is nothing to me, baby.
1: I want your blood. Swan, of course, breaks the deal by telling Philbin that he resents Phoenix's perfection for the role.
0: I only like perfection in myself.
1: LOL. Fragile masculinity? Um, (laughs) Hello. Hello. Uh, The Phantom completes Faust, but Swan replaces Phoenix with this pill-popping, glam rock prima donna named Beef. Beef. Motherfucking Beef. Fuck yeah, Beef. And um, makes Phoenix do backup, basically. And then Swan steals the completed cantata again um, and seals the phantom inside the recording studio Which with is a, a nice, wall. like,
0: Cask of Amontillado reference there, too. Yeah. Little, little Edgar Allan Poe.
1: Yes. And then Winslow eventually escapes and goes to confront Beef. Sorry. Every time I say Beef, <laughs> it's just, it's awesome. Um, it makes me feel really good. Uh, a comic allusion to the shower scene in Psycho, which is awesome. Uh... He threatens to kill him if he performs. Beef is like, oh shit, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. But then he's forced by Philbin to stay and play with the band The Undeads, which now is the Juicy Fruits Beach beach Bums, rebranded as this like glam goth act. Who all now resemble um, someone from The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Our
0: main character from
1: there. Yeah. yeah. And then as Beef performs, the phantom hidden in the rafters, of course, because where else does a phantom go? You um, gots to. Strikes, if I'm a phantom,
0: I'm going to be in the rafters.
1: Strikes and electrocutes Beef with a stage prop. Rip Beef. Beef, no. So then... Absolutely horrified, Philbin orders Phoenix on stage, and she's an immediate sensation, because duh. Right. And then Swan seduces Phoenix in her dressing room after the show with promises of stardom. Um, as she leaves, she's um, taken by the Phantom to the roof. And the Phantom tells Phoenix his true identity and says, leave the paradise so Swan doesn't destroy you too. But Phoenix doesn't recognize or believe him. And she's like, I'm, I gotta go, you weird owl man. Um, <laughs> and then...
0: In her defense, me too. I,
1: I mean, uh, at Swan's mansion, the Phantom observes Swan and Phoenix in a tight embrace Um, He's so heartbroken that he stabs himself through the heart with this Bowie knife. However, Swan tells the Phantom that he can't die until Swan himself has died. Dun, dun, dun. Uh Uh-oh. So then the Phantom's like, okay, bet. (laughs) Then then prepare to die, bitch. Um, So he attempts to stab Swan, but Swan's like, ha, ha, ha. Um, he looks down at Winslow, he hisses in this, like, reptilian voice, and he's like, I'm under contract, too.
0: Yeah, we both signed, buddy.
1: <laughs> with that blood. We wanted to live deliciously. Ooh, uh. Um, make a deal with the devil. Uh, so, Rolling Stone... Because that exists in this universe, I guess. Um, announces that the wedding between Swan and Phoenix um, is is happening during Faust finale. Uh, the Phantom learns that Swan made a pact with the devil in 1953. Uh, there's a, there's kind of this really great scene where like where this older woman is like I dated him I dated him and everyone's like you can be his mom yeah. and then she's like he, uh, this is what he looked like when I dated him in you know like whatever nineteen whatever it was and everyone and then as an audience member you're like oh okay got it got yeah, it got it's it, a, it's got a it. really
0: good reveal it's well done
1: yeah because it's so nonchalant it's not yeah, it just like in slid your in face there, yeah. It's just slid in there and you're like oh shit okay um, and then so swan is going to remain youthful forever unless the videotaped recording of his contract is destroyed and photos age and fester in his place literally portrait of dorian gray literally (laughs) that's the entire plot (laughs) so then that tape reveals footage of winslow signing this contract with swan and a new one swan made with phoenix And then we're on live television. The Phantom realizes that Swan is going to have Phoenix assassinated during the ceremony. He destroys all the recordings and heads off to the wedding. So then we're at the wedding. This huge, ridiculous extravaganza with dancing women dressed as black birds, alluding to, you know, Swan Lake. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Phantom stops the assassin from hitting Phoenix, who instead shoots and kills the Pope-costumed Philbin.
0: I love this.
1: It's Absolutely unhinged, but in the best Boss, way. Boss, I ain't
0: never been no priest before.
1: <laughs> and then the Phantom, of course, swings onto the stage because what else do you do as a Phantom?
0: Again, rafters swinging from him.
1: Swing, you know. Where's Sia? And then <laughs> um, the Phantom swings onto the stage and rips off Swan's masks or mask, um, exposing him, and he's like this decaying monster, like. Ugh flesh is decaying on his face um on live tv swan is pissed and then tries to strangle phoenix is like bitch you're supposed to die but then (laughs) the phantom is like no 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 um this is my muse you're just an asshole who is buddies with satan and stabs him a lot of times a lot. a lot a lot a lot a lot and then um the phantom's own stab wound reopens and he starts bleeding everyone's dying swan is carried around by the audience it's mania stab- <laughs> they stab him and then winslow who's dying removes his mask um who reveal to reveal his his actual face and holds out a hand to phoenix swan dies And then this allows Winslow to die of his own wound. And Winslow, as he succumbs to his death, uh, (laughs) Phoenix finally recognizes him as the nice man who said that she had a good voice and wanted her to work on his stuff. Basically, the reason that she was even noticed in the first place. And she embraces him as he perishes. Yeah.
0: Roll credits.
1: Chaotic. Absolute. So good. Unmediated chaos, but I, you know what, brilliant.
0: I love it. It's so great. Uh, this movie is an insane romp. It is delightfully unhinged. Oh yeah. I was again. I had never, I had heard of this movie. I had never seen it. It kind of was one of those that would slip in and out of my like consciousness or whatever. And then I'm like, oh, and now I finally watched it. I'm like, yo, this is on. This is gonna be on repeat for me. Oh yeah. The songs are fantastic. Every version of them is interesting. Um, And then
1: there's beef. And
0: then there's beef.
1: God, I just, I would love to be in that room when they were, like, naming that character.
0: Seriously. Like, good job, Brian De Palma. So, I understand why people didn't love it when it came out. Or get it.
1: I mean, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. of an audience. Yeah.
0: But I it makes me really happy. Like, I w- I'm watching, I'm like, yeah, it's a mishmash of all these, like, classic stories. Yeah. That you are all vaguely familiar with, at least. And then you're just like, oh, but it's just dumb and fun, but it's actually good satire. Yeah. Because we were just starting to find out how shitty Pil- Phil Spector is at the time. Yeah. And how bullshit the uh, music industry is, right? Mm -hmm. And Brian De Palma's like, well, why don't I make this ridiculous movie that criticizes all of that while using classic literature? And I love when you can use something dumb to do something really smart. Yeah. You know? And that's exactly... We talked about that last week with Rocky Horror. where Rocky Horror feels just like fun, silly camp. But we talked about why that's transgressive and why that was an interesting thing to say. At the time. Yeah. And I would not call Rocky Horror satire by any means, but this movie definitely is, right? Like, it's right. is, is—it's it not parody. It's it's satire. Yeah. I do love the character of Beef, like, because this is 1974, right? This is when we're starting to say, like, okay, um, masculinity can look like a lot of different things, right? Yeah. It can look like Meatloaf. It has looked like John Wayne for a long time, but it can also look like David Bowie. Or it can look like Ozzy Osbourne. Or it can look like... uh. uh mercury like i mentioned earlier you know it's it's
1: absolutely
0: hell we've got the new we talked about the new york dolls last week it's the same idea where there is this like these elements of transgression of societal norms that inform our understanding of why they're bullshit right Mm -hmm. and i love that like that's what this movie is to me yeah um and de palma's earlier like his definitely his early work is all in that vein yeah of really like of that 70s, we've talked a good bit about 70s cinema on this movie, on this podcast, and um, why that sort of transgression, why the birth of the O'Tour filmmaker was really, really important. Oh, yeah. Now, it became obnoxious later because people just stopped saying things with their movies. Yeah. But talking about, I mean, you know, De-, De Palma, Scorsese, Kubrick, um, Carpenter all of these people who are you know auteur filmmakers yeah in this era doing this sort of thing they were they were making points you know mm-hmm. even though john carpenter would hate it if i said he was ever trying to make a point <laughs> as i said at the top of this podcast he did have themes he did have things he was thinking about yeah when he wrote this right nothing's written in a vacuum um the rest of them were trying to make points but he was not uh, <laughs> just so I, just so he doesn't hate me i'll say that But yeah, I I love this. I think this is such a nice encapsulation of what 70s cinema was, right? Like what film was like then.
1: Yeah. And I, like I said earlier, I kind of, I, I really, I love this take on kind of this idea that what goes on behind the scenes in the music industry is so mysterious to people that they automatically think it's, like, evil and, like, deal with the devil and, you know, which I'm not going to say that's not true, but (laughs) I've always loved to kind of, like, that mixture of, like, satanic panic and the music industry and just how interesting that is. And then also, um, I mean, some of the best stories have come from someone making a deal with somebody. Yeah. Like, a deal with the devil, something that you have to sacrifice – to get what you want. Like, I mean, even the, the little fucking mermaid. Yeah. She sacrifices her voice. Little
0: Mermaid is a deal with the devil For story. legs, yeah. you mm-hmm. know? Legs so. and some mediocre dick.
1: Yeah. <laughs> prince Eric has never, has never had to please a woman in his entire life. We know no, that. We he's know. a prince. We know that, you know?
0: But yeah, I think this was... This movie was ahead of its time in a lot of ways, I think. Or it, it's it's exactly right for its time, but the problem with that is that sometimes that makes it feel ahead of its time. Yeah. We've talked about this before. I think it's a movie that's very, very rooted in 1973 to 74, right? Uh, they could not, it, it not in like a, oh, they could never make this now sort of way, but like, no, they literally couldn't make it now because it is such a product of its time. It had to be made at that moment. And that's good satire is done that way, right?
1: Yeah, and it's definitely talking about kind of like the rebranding that musicians go through sometimes, like, and whether that's motivated by capitalism or their own artistic will. Like how the, um, I forget that, what's their first names? Uh, It goes from that to the Juicy Fruits.
0: No, the Juicy Fruits is first, then it's the Beach Bums. Oh, that's
1: right, that's right. And then it's the Glam Goth Band.
0: Yeah, uh, the, the
1: Undeads. That's right. So that the message that I got was that was fueled by by capitalism. You've got these, it's, it's a yeah attractive people who are make who are not even really making music. Like yeah, they're putting it out there, but they're you know stealing music from others and like mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's one of those movies that is def. There's definitely a message in there, but it's like so chaotic that you can also just like enjoy the ride. Yeah, it leans into its ridiculousness and its campiness and the absolute chaos of it all like it kind of in my opinion unwinds at the end it just becomes like this horror frenzy which i'm not mad about but i feel like they were like how are we gonna end this stabbing was the answer apparently
0: yeah one shot bunch of stabs
1: yeah so it's not a very like nuanced ending but i don't know if i i don't needed that
0: no no (laughs) the movie's not like subtle um, but no, I love it as a critique of like it, it's 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 critiquing vacuousness, right? Yeah, but it's also critiquing obsession. Yeah. What, like Winslow leech destroys himself in pursuit of fame and getting his music to the world. He's so self-important that he ruins the very thing that was that brought him that self-importance, right? Yeah, his ego is so large that he can't see past it. Yeah. I have to do it my way. It must be done the correct way. Don't you dare change it at all. Blah, blah, blah. That sort of shit, right? Yeah. And, and again, he literally like dies and comes back to life because of his fucking obsession with his own music. Yeah. I've never written anything that I care that much about. <laughs> I can tell you right now. Right. <laughs> um. But then he, he he has the two obsessions, and Obsession Kills, which again, Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Um. And Hunchback of Notre Dame, right? Those are... Both referenced it here, obviously, and th- that's that's what happens. Obsession kills, yeah. and it's 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 his self obsession and his obsession with Phoenix, which is based on nothing other than one time hearing or seeing. Now, I'm also obsessed with Phoenix, so that one I get. But yeah. and his music is really good. Like this is super well written. Yeah, Paul Williams did a fantastic fucking job on this. Right. Uh, but it's not worth selling my soul to the devil and doing life in Sing Sing, like.
1: Yeah. that's just
0: that's not it's not worth that it's some really beautiful singer-songwriter stuff it's very like um don mclean right right but I again i wouldn't if i were don mclean i wouldn't sell my soul to the devil for my for american pie to be produced
1: <laughs> maybe starry starry
0: night because that song is so fucking good
1: oh my god but
0: um yeah it's it's
1: rock and roll <laughs> sell your soul to the devil but it's it's, it's
0: ah. but yeah then so critiquing the swan side of it the phil Spector of it all is critiquing that vacuousness these bands that were just uh uh created that created out of thin air you know
1: The like industry plants
0: yeah. yeah beach boys sex pistols like everybody's like oh sex pistols are so raw no they were fucking made up they were made in a fucking lab like, none of them knew how to play instruments when they got started, and they were just like, and none of the, and, like, the ones that did were not punk. They were, like, little folk musician boys hanging around London. Aw. <laughs> then they, well, and then Sid and Nancy happens. Oops. Whoops. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, there's there's a lot of stuff that goes on in here with that, but I love it, because, like, to bring up your Josie and the Pussycats comparison, it's very on point, because that was a critique of Max Martin and Simon Cowell, right?
1: I know. I know you
0: know. <laughs> so, yeah, I, it's the same idea. I'm on like, point. This this, and Josie and the Pussycats are the same movie. Just as campy, just as chaotic. Yeah. There's a band that's self-obsessed and dies and comes back to life. Yeah. Right? Du jour. Du jour.
1: Backdoor of... lover.
0: <laughs> Backdoor lover.
1: Takes on new meaning every year somehow.
0: <laughs> you didn't get it the first time, or? <laughs>
1: I mean, I was like... So Seven or eight? No, I was like
0: ten when yeah. it came out. Um, but yeah, I this is... This movie is just really, really well done. Yeah, this movie just... It has a really great energy to it. And it has a lot of good things to say. Like, we've ta- we talked last week about how music can be transgressive. This one doesn't have transgressive music. Other than it's just a reference to Faust. Which was, like, a subversive piece at the time, right? But... Right. The actual message of the... the the visual message of the film um, with its with its like really these were like new uses of color new uses of angles Um, this is again when I talk about that 70s style that's what I'm talking about it's like these were new things to film right?
1: Yeah and I mean this is a very successfully made film in general uh, but I also think that you know, we, since, you know, our theme is, is, uh, horror musicals, we, we need to discuss, you know, it's obviously a successful horror film. You've got a, you've got a villain, a monster, whatever, um, who has, who you actually learn about. And, you know, it, it kind of deepens your experience where like, he's been wronged, but now he's like trying to get revenge. Right. Yeah. Um, and then it's not just like that part isn't chaos. That part you're like, yeah. That's, that's that. a
0: straightforward story, yeah.
1: And then, um, and then, obviously, you have you have um, this idea of like a deal with the devil. That is a huge trope in horror films. And then you've got, and then you, you know, aside from that, you've got all like the gore and the violence and the you know the stabbing, the the record press, the disfigurement of his face and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously a very like you know it's a, it's it succeeds succeeds as a horror film. What I find interesting about it as like. A, a musical is that it's one of those musicals where the songs don't advance the plot. This could. Okay, yeah. Like, there are two different types of, like, you know, things that we would categorize, like, especially in movies. I feel like a stage musical is a little bit different where you're not just going to have, um, maybe with, maybe with, like, the exception of something like Sing Street that, that musical that was made from the movie. I feel like that is kind of like, you only see them singing when it's like they're at a concert and they're like performing. Right. Sure. Yeah. So, so there are those type of musicals. um, Mostly they're tied to movies where you have a lot of music in it. Josie and the Pussycats is the same way. It in no way advances the plot. You could take all of the songs out And just have them playing, you know, in a montage or something, and you still would get the same movie. Like, they don't advance the plot in any way. You're not singing, I'm so in love with you, I want to get married. Like, you're you're not singing, like, your subtext, essentially. You're singing these songs that were written for the movie... That are basically just like a soundtrack, but they're incorporated in it, so we consider it a musical movie. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, as
0: opposed to a musical, like a movie musical, it's a it's a musical movie. That's fair. I my only pushback is that because he's because the songs we hear at a certain point they do start progressing the plot. Now you're right that they're not singing subtext. In the way that you typically do in a musical but because he's writing the story of faust into a like rock opera yeah the songs progress in a way at that once we're in the like back half of the film
1: mm-hmm.
0: um the songs progress in a way that it is telling the story of faust right which is more or less what he's trying to get across here right because faust is literally about to deal with the devil. Because like Phantom of the Opera is like the framing device. The story is Faust, right? Yeah. Um, that's my only pushback is that like in the back of the film we are hearing progressions of songs, but we do hear the same song multiple times, and it's like how it's being, dis- how it's being made and produced and used and all of that.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm I curious, guess I'm um, like
0: there are music like the, the I'm, I give what I'm getting at is I think that it's not the. Definitely the actual music, not the not necessarily the lyrics, but the music itself is advancing the plot because you're he's we see Swan spin his wheels like he literally there's a scene where the scene where he spins around in that like round desk. Yeah. And he's cycling through ideas for what the music should sound like. So we're hearing the same song and essentially getting reprises in different genres
1: I guess what I mean is that you could, in a way, replace those songs with something else. I think like, that's right. Com- like, compare that to Into the Woods, which has been made into a, a movie musical. Mm-hmm. Um, those songs specifically in the lyrics, they advance the plot. If you replace those songs with something else, it'd be a different story. Sure. In this, you if you re- replace the songs with, I don't know... Um, all Beach Boys or Kiss songs or, mm-hmm. you know, um, Buddy Holly songs, then um, you would still get the same plot. That's it's, fair. It's more yeah. about what's happening around the music that advances the plot. And that's just a different kind of movie musical. Like, yeah. Hedwig I feel like kind of falls like in like a like a weird gray area here because obviously we're only seeing her perform these songs but they're also telling the story of her life yeah like and the it's, song Angry Inch like that's sure, literally yeah. describing what happened to her um so that's kind of in a gray area. This kind of falls in like a more black and white area. And then something like Into the Woods would fall into a more black and white area where totally. you're, the characters are literally speak singing to each other. Mm-hmm. Very
0: sound Ad- sa- like, like that's any. Advancing
1: the plot. Yeah. Right. They're saying what's happening. They're making decisions. Um, this is kind of like could just be known as like a soundtrack.
0: I agree with that. That's fair. That I can get behind. Both
1: are legitimate, obviously, and I yeah. love both, but they're different. I,
0: and what I was trying to get at is, I, I completely agree with you. And I, um, what I was getting at is that I was just, I, I need to put a finer point on it, just to say what I mean. Uh, I want to put a lot of respect on Paul Williams' name for this movie. Oh yeah, he wrote in six different genres, <clears throat> uh, and using. The actual music, like the music being played by instruments. Yeah. As opposed to the vo- Well, and so, the vocals, but like voices instrument as opposed to the lyrics. Yeah. Using that to progress plot is really fucking cool. That's hard to do. And I I can't be anything other than impressed, you know? Yeah. That's what I was trying to say with him.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, dope. Do you want to wrap up on some fun trivia?
1: Yes, let's do it. I love
0: fun trivia. So my favorite one, I'm just gonna start with my favorite. One of my favorite bands who made at least one perfect album in Discovery, 2001, this is their favorite movie. It's Daft Punk.
1: This is Daft Punk's favorite movie? Yes. Okay.
0: They have watched... They've said they've watched it at least 20 times together. Wow. Um, which makes me very happy. I just love that. Oh, um, so they also... So another fun one was that they got sued by Led Zeppelin's record label because the... Uh, the original logo for Swan Song Records was really close to this, uh, the logo that they had for Led Zeppelin.
1: I did not um, know that. Yeah. Thank you for that little trivia right? moment. That Led I Zeppelin really,
0: sued them. This I, little million dollar movie, Led Zeppelin sued them. Oh
1: God. <laughs> I I thoroughly enjoyed your your trivia. Oh, I've got one more. Okay, what is it? Spit it out. I'm
0: working. I'm sorry, my brain stopped working. I'm joking. So we've talked about Jack Fisk before, and Sissy Spacek. This is where Sissy Spacek met Brian De Palma. She worked as a set dresser to help out Jack Fisk. She fucked up so bad, they lost a day of filming. Oh, no. But De Palma was like, you know what? He auditioned her for Phoenix anyway. He's like, no, it's going to Jessica Harper. But I've got a little movie in mind for you. And then, yeah, she goes on to play Carrie. And it makes me... I love it. Like...
1: It's just a these small, little weird things. World. <laughs> it really
0: is. Um, also, one last one: Linda Ronstadt was up for this role.
1: I believe that. Yeah,
0: that's that makes that's perfect sense, sense for me. Yeah, yeah, that's a it's a a lateral move in terms of what's going on. I love Linda Ronstadt. That, that's not a that shot, makes, That's not a dig at her. But yeah, that
1: makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah, um, but yeah, that's my little trivia things to end.
1: Thanks again for joining us for our second episode in our October theme: horror musicals stay on this ride with us it's it's gonna be really fun
0: yeah you i'm know, i I'm really i, I the it. next couple movies we have planned i'm excited to talk about for different reasons
1: and you guys know where to find us we're on instagram at horror babes podcast we're on twitter at horror babes pod and we have a website horror so find us on there send us a dm if you've got any suggestions or questions concerns comments all that good stuff. And then until next time, bye, babes. Hey,
0: babe. Yeah, babe.